Um, man, I'll tell you, this has been uh, quite a week as we are celebrating a lot of things. We're seeing God moving in some incredible ways. We're seeing answers to prayer uh, that are, are just beautiful. And at the same time, we're experiencing the losses and the challenges that life brings. Uh, earlier this week, uh, we learned that one of our oldest uh, living members of our church had actually passed away and gone into the presence of the Lord. Many of you know Jane Crandall and her family, and so we're praying for them this week. I'll tell you, it is something, though, when you see the truth of grief with hope. You know, the Apostle Paul says, I want you to grieve like the rest of the world that doesn't have any hope. Uh, I, want, I want you to grieve in a different way. So you, you feel that loss, and there's times that I, even this week, I sort of went back to just thinking about my, my friend and, and just missing her. Uh, she has been such an encouragement to so many of us, uh, but we grieve with hope because she was moving into, you know, out of this sort of broken shell and into real life in a way that is just incredible. And uh, I, I started hearing stories almost immediately after she had passed away from people, leaders in this church who said, you know, I stuck around uh, in this church uh, basically because of Jane. She was the one who connected me. She used to be camped out at our info center and she would greet people and welcome people and she had such a ministry. Uh, in fact, it was, I remember her telling me after her husband had passed away, uh, the Lord gave her decades more and uh, she said, I didn't want to sit around and mope. I wanted to love on people and invest in people. And she did that in a really, really special way. And so that's not the topic of the message today, but simply to say that God is moving and is working in all kinds of powerful ways, and we're grateful to him. Uh, today, we're going to continue on in our series, Bible Heroes, Flawed Leaders, and a Faithful God. Uh, we encourage you to be reading along with us. We're getting into the book of 1 Samuel, finishing Ruth last week, and uh, we have these little scripture memory or scripture uh, reading cards that you can uh, pick up at the info center if you would like to follow along and track with us in the scriptures that we're reading. We're not preaching every verse. We decided that would take 50 years to get through the whole Bible, but we are, by God's grace, going to go through the whole Bible in approximately five years uh, of preaching. Uh, so today, we're going to get into First and Second Samuel. Uh, before we do that, I also want to just give a thank you to you. Uh, many of you gave uh, notes uh, of encouragement uh, to our pastoral staff. We did the pastor appreciation thing last week. Uh, our family was personally very blessed by that, reading through that uh, and hearing your heart, hearing your testimonies, hearing your encouragement. That was deeply meaningful, and so I just want to publicly say thank you to you. Uh, I know that we do not have a perfect church, and I know that you do not have a perfect pastor by any stretch of the imagination, but we're growing together in Christ and that's a very special thing, and we're grateful that we're allowed to be a part of that here. So just recapping uh, some of the story as we've gone through many of the Old Testament books. We've looked at the creation account. We looked at the Exodus account as God's people were pulled out of slavery and becoming a nation of their own. We saw the arrival at the promised land after the wandering in the wilderness. We saw in the book of Judges the moral decay that was creeping in. Instead of becoming a light to the surrounding nations, they were becoming polluted by them. Uh, we see the chaotic decline of spiritual sin and brokenness, the people saying we need a true king, and that journey actually begins to unfold in the time of Samuel. Today we're going to begin a new book, we're going to look in 1 Samuel, if you have your Bibles you can flip over there, and we will be there over these next three weeks in both 1 and 2 Samuel. Here's a phrase that I'd like you to chew on as we begin, I'm going to do a little bit of background just to make sure that you're kind of up to speed. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Many of you know that passage. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How many of you are still working on that little journey? How do you know when you're done, right? It's like, well, Lord, when, when do I get out of the sort of opposition phase of being prideful? My old nature is always going to be prideful. And yet there is a new nature of Christ in me that God desires to allow come, to come to the surface, to come to the forefront, so that even your natural reactions when you're doing life and you're going through different things, that you actually begin to respond more like Christ. That's what part of that means when we talk about God opposing the proud and giving grace to the humble. I want you just to sort of file that away uh, as we're going to be sort of talking about that concept here today. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, we get a little bit of background. I just want to paraphrase with you to make sure that you're kind of up to speed. This is Hannah's story. Uh, and Hannah is the mother of Samuel. So the birth of Samuel comes as an answer really to two prayers. It is a, a desperate prayer of a mother who has, does not have children and is, is asking God uh, for that opportunity to bring a child into the world. So Samuel is an answer to that prayer. He is also an answer to Israel's need for a prophet that God will use to give guidance to his people in their transition from the period of the judges, which we've just sort of come through. Even the book of Ruth is set in the time of the judges. The beginning of Samuel is set in the time of the judges as well. So guidance from that season into the period of the kings. Samuel is that guy. Samuel is the person that God has anointed and chosen to do that. A little bit of Hannah's background that we know is that she is, this is the story of an ordinary Israelite family during the period of the judges. In that way, similar to the book of Ruth, it's life happening with all of its longings and losses and wins and hopes. And Hannah, we know by verse 2 of chapter 1, has no children, and that's the deep longing in her heart. So we read about the big plea of Hannah on an annual trip to Shiloh, which is where the family would come to worship. Hannah is simply overcome with grief, and she's crying out to the Lord. It says that she's pouring out her soul to him. She pleads with the Lord that she may have a child, and she, in fact, vows to give that child back to the Lord. So then in verse 11 of chapter 1, uh, that you see this curious phrase. It says, no razor will touch his head, and that's actually part of the Nazarite vow to say he's, he's going to be dedicated to the Lord. That's her hope. Eli is the priest at the time, and he's sort of overseeing things, and he sees her, and she's crying out so desperately and praying so fervently that he thinks she's drunk. In fact, he chastises her. He's like, how long are you going to keep drinking? You stop, stop. She says, I'm not drinking. I'm grieved in my heart. This is like my, my heart cry. I'm crying my heart out to the Lord, and he's moved by her heart cry, and he blesses her that she may have a child, and she does. And baby Samuel is born to her later. Baby Samuel, who would grow up to become the final uh, judge and the prophet of God. And so we're going to see him in both of those ways. Hannah's story has been closely associated with the ministry to families and orphans in particular, seeing every child as a gift that should be cherished and cared for. So even things like our partnering ministry, and many of you have, have even uh, attended or given to the, the blessing toward Esperanza de Ana, that uh, translates Hannah's hope, and that's the orphanage and family ministry that we have built in Peru, and it continues to be just an incredible thing. Several of you just were here as we were talking about the stand Sunday. How many of you were moved by that video? Was that awesome or what? You know, in the county where they're saying, 
You know, we have more families ready to step up to care for children than we have needs. That is a unique thing, and, and I agree with what Dave said. May that happen here in, in the Center County region. I did hear somebody recently say, if, if one family out of every church would step up and foster that is not currently fostering, that would actually meet the need. Some of you I know are thinking about that. You're chewing on that. Some of you are saying, uh, that's, we know, I know that's not for me. It's not a phase of life where I could do that. The thing I love about the Keystone Family Alliance, uh, orphan care, they used to be called Orphan Care Alliance. We love this partnership that we have with them. Uh, the thing, one of the things that I personally love is the emphasis that they have said to say fostering and adoption, that's not for every person. And yet there is something that every person can do. So they have a network when there's a need within those families that are fostering and they say, hey, we really need a car seat or we really need, you know, whatever. People can hear of those needs and jump in and say, okay, we can provide for that. That's something many of you could do. Uh, one of the other things they've started doing, realizing that foster families oftentimes burn out. They oftentimes don't make it past a year because it's just a lot of emotional weight, a lot of challenges that they're carrying. Some of you have been there. You know what that's like. Very difficult sometimes. And so they've said, you know, maybe you're not called to foster, but you can be one of these wraparound families that comes along to give support to a family that does. And so they're making sure that every one of the foster families has a team of people and families around them to give meal support and babysitting help so they can have a date night, those kind of things. That's something that you can do. Uh, so that gathering is actually happening tonight, as you heard in the announcement time, the vision time at, uh, at Park Forest Baptist Church 630. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Today in our, today in our uh, message, we're going to go to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, and I want to read you the words, uh, some of the words that Hannah says as she is now dedicating this child to the Lord. So she has the baby, it's this huge blessing, and now she has come to dedicate him to the Lord. And we're going to read in 1 Samuel 2, the entirety of it is in verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 and 7 to 9. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bibles. And this is what it says. Then Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high, my mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. Down to verse 7. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundation of the earth are the, the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. Verse 9 says, He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. I'm going to pause right there. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. One of the major themes that you hear in Hannah's prayer is this idea of pride and humility, that God opposes the proud, Scripture says, but gives grace to the humble. How many of you have heard that passage before? Well, of course you did. We just talked about it five minutes ago, right? Uh, Many of us have heard that verse. Does anybody know where that verse is found? I remember trying to look that up. I was like, I know it's in there somewhere. It sounds like it's probably a proverb, and it is. 
It's like, but I think I read it in the New Testament, which I have. James talks about it. First Peter also talks about it. And it is one of the major theses that comes out of this song of Hannah's prayer. And we're going to talk about some other ways in which we see Scripture sort of elevating this concept. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so that you don't run by it too quickly, let me just ask you to understand that is not a position in opposition of God that you want to find yourself in. And yet that's what the Word says. It doesn't say he dislikes it. It doesn't say he doesn't prefer it. It actually says that Almighty God of the universe opposes the prideful person. That's an interesting clue. It's not where you want to be, right? But then in the same breath, he gives grace to the humble. In other words, there is something about the humble spirit. Those who are contrite and humble in heart, you will not deny. You know, there's something throughout Scripture that we see God drawn to the humble person. And then we're going to close the, the message with this really amazing choice that First Peter says that you have to humble yourself under God's mighty hand. He actually gives you that choice. He gives you that imperative to do by his spirit. When you see a theme that is repeated throughout scripture, please pay attention. It is God underlining or highlighting or increasing the font size, whatever it is, of his message. In other words, to say, this matters. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. This matters. Salvation is contingent upon us understanding that God's grace to the humble and the death of our pride comes at the cross. Sanctification happens when the ongoing work is increasing uh, as we increase in Christ likeness and dying to self. Your leadership, and we have leaders all throughout this congregation that are leading in incredible ways, but your leadership is contingent upon understanding the way that Christ led. Don't lord your position and title over people, but learn to serve like Christ who washed his disciples' feet. Some of your relationships are a mess because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule. Some of us, our marriages are wrestling because we have not yet understood what it means to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In all of these areas, and probably a whole lot more, you can stamp this lesson, and I implore you, don't skip this lesson. God opposes the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. And here is Hannah in a humble place coming back to the Lord and praying this over the next generation. We're going to talk about that here just a little bit. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, there is a vice of all vices. Uh, we have this up on the screen. The vice that I'm talking about is pride or self-conceit. And the virtue opposite to it in Christian morals is called humility. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride, unchastity, or anger, or greed, or drunkenness, all, and all that are, um, are mere flea bites in comparison. He goes on to say, it was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete 
anti-God state of mind. So is there any, is there any surprise that all throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, wisdom literature, and all the way through to the New Testament epistles, that there would be this theme that says pride is an issue and humility is a thing to be sought after. Pride makes me not want to be good-looking. It makes me want to be better-looking than someone else. This is how C.S. Lewis describes it. Pride doesn't make me want to be wealthy. It makes me want to be wealthier than someone else. Not to be smart, but to be smarter than someone else. And the list goes on and on and on. That's how he describes this deep ingrained root of pride. And so it's a topic that we've talked about a lot of times. I've actually written a lot of good uh, messages on humility. The best one I'm saving for when I have a larger audience. So, uh, but today we're going we're gonna to get you through. Uh, pride runs deep and you're probably not, grow, you're not done growing in this area. So I want to give you sort of three lessons as we look through the lens of Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel in particular. Pride and humility. The first one is a lesson for Samuel. The second one is a lesson for Israel. And the third one is a lesson for me, for you. I think we'll make it very personal before we are all done. Pride and humility, a lesson for Samuel. If you move ahead to 1 Samuel 3, it begins with these really sort of haunting words. It says, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli, that's the priest, In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and there were not many visions. So just to make sure you have the context, Hannah has kept true to her promise. She has brought the child back and dedicated him to the Lord, not just in sort of a metaphorical way, but literally saying he will now live under the care of the priest, and he will serve in the presence of the Lord. That's going to be his his job, his role. I'm sure she was able to come and visit him, but she was literally giving him back to the Lord. So the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli, and then in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. And I don't know if maybe some of you that grips your heart just a little bit because you know what it's like perhaps to live in a season or a time where it feels like the voice of the Lord feels kind of scarce or distant. And some of you may even be in a place, you're praying for revival, but you haven't seen revival yet. You're praying for the stirring and the working of the Lord, but it's like, it's that exercise in patience. And you know that God wants to do some things, but you're you're laboring and you're moving forward. But maybe your experience has been that the word of the Lord was rare, not many visions. When you think about the lesson for Samuel, I want to give you sort of two things, and I would encourage you to think through this a little bit. Pride and humility. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. In Samuel, what you begin to see, uh, and how many of you know the story of the calling of Samuel? You're familiar with that? God begins to speak to him. He thinks it's Eli. He's running to Eli. You called me. I didn't call you. Go back to bed. God calls him again. He runs to Eli. This happens three times. And then the third time, Eli says to him, like, I think God's up to something. He recognizes that God is at work, and so he instructs the young man uh, in terms of what to do. Uh, I, w- I want to talk about two things from this lesson for Samuel. The first is the humility to listen first. The second is the humility to speak truthfully. You see, the calling of Samuel takes us into this next chapter 3, and it is the next part of this leader's origin story. Samuel is hearing the audible voice of God. He thinks it's Eli, as we said, and three times this happens. He runs to Eli. Verse 8 and 9, it says, Then Eli realized the Lord was calling the boy, 
So he told Samuel, go and lie down. If he calls you, (laughs) say this, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. Now, I don't want you to miss this. This is just so beautiful. What's happening here? God is starting something new that even though in Samuel's day, the word of the Lord was rare, there weren't many visions, but that doesn't mean that God isn't up to something. And the amazing thing is, he's not going to the old priest. He's not going to the seasoned guy who's been there and done that away. He's going to the young person and he's doing something new in the next generation. That's why we not only want to pray for the next generation, but we must be good markers to keep pointing the next generation to Christ. Eli recognizes, wait, I think God is doing something here. And he doesn't try to hog it. He doesn't try to take it. He empowers it. And he says, Samuel, here's what you're going to do. Say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Humility to listen first. This was good advice. And God is teaching Samuel to listen And the message that he's going to give Samuel is not an easy one. Just in case you haven't read this recently, the message is essentially that the house of Eli, because of his reprobate sons that are acting like complete idiots, and they're not obedient to the Lord, and they're making all this mess, that the judgment of God is coming to the house of Eli, the guy that's mentoring him. So this is a hard situation. So he's listening, he's hearing Samuel also uh, now has to have the humility to speak truthfully because when Eli confronts him and he says, what did God say to you? He's like, I'd rather not say. And Eli says, don't hold a word back. I want you to tell me every word. Now now listen, this this is a serious moment for us because some of us, and, and again, I'm in, I'm in good, you're in good company. This is, this is what I wrestle with. Some of us would much rather tell people what they want to hear. But if you are called to be a minister of the gospel, that is not your motivation. Just tell people what they want to hear. Just make them feel good. Make them feel happy. Make them laugh. All that kind of, you know what I'm saying? What we have to understand is there's this leadership check that before you preach or teach or write or coach or post, you've got to take time to listen and connect to the heart of God. Otherwise, you're going to just be talking about your best ideas or worse, you're just going to be telling people what they want to hear. And Samuel, I'm sure, would have much rather said, I heard from the Lord. He says, keep up the good work. And he loves you very much, Eli. But that wasn't the message. But he took time to listen. This is something we need to hear. We take time to listen before you preach. Many of you are teachers. Many of you are writers. Many of you are coaches. Many of you have influence. Before you utilize that influence, take time to listen. And here's why. Because our current reality in our cultural moment is this. How will we hear wisdom when everyone is talking in a megaphone? I remember when Twitter became a thing. I was way on the front end of this because a buddy of mine is like, oh, he's like tech. He's like, oh, man, Twitter, this is the thing, Twitter. I didn't know what it was. And he's explaining to me, oh, it's like, I didn't know how it would work or anything like that. He said, no, no, this is going to be a thing. It's going to be a real thing. And I remember even then thinking to myself, the problem with social media is the farther along we go in life, everybody's speaking into a megaphone and everybody thinks that they know. And now we live in a culture where everybody's just yelling, yelling loud. Nobody's listening to anybody, let alone God. 
We're just saying what we think we know. And we're dumbing down our culture in a way that's not, not terribly good. Our ability to think, think thoughtfully and process and to dialogue. Why is that all out the window? Because everybody's yelling. The lesson for Samuel is this. Humility says, listen first. And if you're a believer in Christ, then listen to the heart of Christ. Listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit before you simply get out and begin speaking what you think you know. And when you hear the voice of God and he says it's time to speak, then have the humility to speak truthfully. By the end of chapter 3, we see that Samuel actually grew and was established as a prophet of the Lord. And God is doing something in his life and teaching him, listen, you have to understand this, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's our first lesson. The second one is pride and humility, a lesson for Israel. If you continue on in the book, a very interesting thing happens. Chapter 4 to 7, you see the introduction of Israel's nemesis, the big bad Philistines, and these people will battle against one another for generations. Now follow me on this. If you begin to read, the next thing that happens is Israel decides this would be a good idea to take the Ark of the Covenant out into battle. Because the Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God. We're going to strike fear in the heart of our enemies. And this sounds like a good idea. What was the lesson from Samuel? You've got to listen first. Interestingly, the people overseeing this idea are named Hophni and Phinehas. Does anybody know who they are? They're Eli's idiot sons. Right? And they're like, we think this is a good idea. They're not listening to the voice of God. They're just saying, let's just do this thing. So they go out, and they're battling against the Philistines, and not only do the Israelites lose, but the Ark of the Covenant is captured. Hophni and Phinehas are killed, and when Eli hears the report that the Ark is taken, his sons are killed, everything, he falls over. He's 98 years old now. He's an old kind of man. He's big and heavy. He falls backwards and breaks his neck. This is the worst day in the history of God's people. Because nobody stopped to listen. And God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So the Israelite people would probably say, well, yeah, he, he opposes the proud Philistines. But the fact of the matter is he opposes the pride of Israel. And he opposes the pride of the Philistines because the ark gets taken. Chapter 5 is a fascinating story. The ark of the covenant gets taken. Uh, the people put it in the temple of Dagon, which is their god. And they have this big idol to Dagon. The next morning they wake up and the idol has fallen over and is broken and prostrate, prostrate before the, uh, the ark of the covenant. And then it gets worse for the people because they've captured the ark. A plague begins to break out over the people. And then they say, we don't want this thing anymore. Send it back. It's like return to sender. We're just like, just get, get it out of here. Interestingly, as if God was able to win a victory without his people lifting a sword. But when they thought they knew and acted in pride, God opposed them. God is not going to be Israel's trophy. That's from Tim Mackey, Bible Project. God is not going to be Israel's trophy. God opposes the pride of Israel and opposes the pride of the Philistines. Israel's got to remain humble to be in covenant relationship with their God. Interestingly, this lesson for Israel extends to the new kings because Samuel's going to take us from the judges and into the monarchy. And Saul's going to have to wrestle with this same thing. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And David is going to have to wrestle with the same thing. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. 
The third lesson is a simple one, and it's just bringing it home to me. You see this beautiful prayer offered by a mother who receives this son, brings it back, she prays this dedication, and amidst many beautiful things that she says, essentially is this, that, 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 that God opposes pride. He, he, he leans in to those who will be humble. That encouragement is there. It's picked up in the Proverbs. It's repeated in the New Testament. First Peter 5 Peter says this, and I just want you to hear this as a lesson for me, a lesson for you. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble, referencing Proverbs 3.34. And then he says this, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And the lesson that I would like to just encourage you in, again, don't skip this day. This is what opens up the door in so many areas of your walk with Jesus in your maturity and your growth. That there is a relational dynamic in which we choose to submit ourselves under God's leadership and care. That comes when we recognize, as we said before, that my pride actually puts me in opposition to God. You don't want to be there. I don't want to be there. If that is true, and it is also true that God is drawn to humility, and humility invites the favor and the grace of God, then Peter takes us a step further into the actionable place with the imperative, humble yourself. Like, if you want to be serious about walking with Jesus, learn what it is to humble yourself. And I guarantee you, you are probably not done in that journey. Peter was an old man when he wrote this. And I chuckle a little bit when I think about, I wonder what he was thinking about from his own life when he wrote that. Peter was like, Jesus, I will never betray you. Other people... Oh, they're, they're going to they're gonna fall away, but I'm never going to fall away. And Jesus says, now you're going to learn humility. You're, you're going to learn the limits of your own ability. Your heart's in the right place, but you're full of pride. You think you can do this on your own. Years later, Peter's an old man, and he's writing one of his great imperatives to the church. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that in due time, he will pick you up. We have young leaders in the house. We have, we, have, we have world changers that are right here. I don't know what God's going to do in your life. I don't know how he's going to use you. I do believe that we have people that are going to make impacts in their generation right here in this church. Sometimes the ambition to do for God gets in the way. I see this a lot with young leaders. Right? I want to I have a big platform. I want to have a big stage. I want to have a big following. I want to make a big impact. And all of that, it's just so hard to decouple that for like, where is that my own pride talking? because I want to feel good about who I am and what I'm doing for Jesus. And one of the ways that we get around that and through that is to simply say, God, teach me the way of humility. If you really want to grow, listen to these words from Andrew Murray. He says, here is the path to the higher life. Down, lower down. Just as water always seeks and fills the lowest place, so the moment God finds us abased and empty, his glory and power flow in to exalt 
and to bless. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand that in due time he would lift you up. The reason I think this is so vitally important for us is that in this moment, will God find us as humble followers of him? In the days of Samuel, it was said that in those days the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions until God called a kid and taught him the lesson of pride and humility, which was spoken in prayerful blessing by his mother. Here's what I'd like to do. Uh, Worship team, you can come up. We're going to just wrap up. This is a very simple message with a simple encouragement. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray that that God would awaken in you and illuminate in you the places where humility needs to be valued at a greater level. Where's your pride getting in the way? That's a simple question. I want you to stand if you would. Let let me ask you to consider just these couple of things, and then I'm just going to pray for you. If if you'd like me to pray over you, I'd like you just to indicate that. Um, can you find a way to bless others in a way that brings no credit to you? And I talked to a friend of mine years ago, we were in college, and she was talking in a group, and she said, hey, she said, I've been praying for God to to keep me humble and, and specifically to find ways that I could serve with no recognition. And then she, it's a small group, we're talking, and, and she says, um, and God gave me the opportunity to do that. And I, I did this, and I did this, and I did this. And it was, I was so glad that I was able to do that. And uh, one of our friends that was sitting there, who was maybe just a little bolder than me, was like, well, why are you telling us? And she was like, ah! <laughs> yeah, why am I doing that? Why am I doing that? Why am I doing that? Can you find a way to be a blessing in a way that doesn't bring any attention to you? to joyfully be unknown, that we would even say things like, our names be forgotten, but the name of Christ will be elevated. That's humble servant leadership. Uh, I want to encourage you to acknowledge the subtle nature of pride. I I, I talked to a pastor years ago, and he said, I've come to this conclusion. I can be on my knees and in tears and in prayer and still be so full of pride and still be motivated by all the wrong things. So acknowledge the subtle nature and the ongoing nature, old nature of pride. And then the best thing is this, ask for help. You know, this is the message that we bring time and time and time again, is that we have divine help in Christ. That his finished work is enough. That his ability to deal with my prideful heart, of which he is not intimidated. He doesn't step back and go, oh man, this is just such a mess. I don't even know where to start with this thing. He knows exactly where to start with this. And part of that is we ask for help. I think that's what Peter's talking about when he says, humble yourself under his mighty hand. It shows up in all kinds of ways. I need to be liked. I need to be right. I need to be noticed. I need to be recognized. All of those things. It's prideful leadership. So allow the Lord to say, let me help you with that. Because I actually oppose that in you. But I give grace to the humble. Asking for help is an act of humility. Worship is an act of humility. So what I'd like to do is just, I'd like to pray for you. And uh, just if you'd close your eyes, I just want to say a prayer. Pray for us as a church that God would, would teach us in greater measure the ways of pride and humility. 
Um, here's how I'd like you to respond, just very simple. If you're saying, I still am kind of growing in this and I've got some specific areas that the Holy Spirit is showing me, uh, just raise a hand. I just want to see who you are. Okay, so we all need a little help here. Jesus, we're being honest before you and wrestling maybe just a little bit today with this reality that you oppose the prideful nature in us. And that nature is alive and well in me. So we need to acknowledge that before you. I pray, Lord, that you would birth something new of the likeness of Christ, who though being the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but who humbled himself and made himself obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has given him the name that is above every name. He's raised him to the highest place so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and tongue would confess on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if that proclamation brings you some joy today, you're probably on a good track to say, let the purpose of my life to be him, to bring him glory, that he would increase, that I would decrease. So Lord, help us specifically today in the places where we're wrestling with our own pride. And, and I also want to just say this, this is important. Don't let us wallow in it. I don't think the Lord wants you to wallow out of here. Acknowledge it, sacrifice it, put it on the, put it on the table before him. Ask him for help. Be willing to walk it out. Don't wallow in it. The mark of a, of a mature, humble Christian is not that we just walk around all the time talking about how bad we are and what a mess we are. It's that we acknowledge that apart from Christ, we can't do anything. That in Christ, we've been given everything. And we actually allow that transaction to be real in us. In our marriage, in our work, in our relationships, in our study, in our ministry, in our interactions with people who love Jesus, in our interactions with people who don't know Jesus. There's just this, like, this beautiful image of the likeness of Christ being drawn up out sort of through our murkiness and through our, through our pridefulness that the image of Christ would actually begin to surface in us. So Lord, make that true. Do the work that you desire to do, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. And everybody said, amen.